The Mina Kime Show featuring Lenny is presented for the people by Caesar Sportsbook. You bet you get with Caesar Rewards. Must be 21 or older. Welcome back to the Mini Kime Show featuring Lenny, the only NFL podcast. One of the hosts here is Can Can and thinks dinner time. That's Lenny. I'm Mini Kimes. He only eats canned food. Get at me, sponsors. Uh, I am really excited because we are starting our division previews today. Uh, and I'm starting with a friend of mine who has not been on the podcast. This is so exciting. She's uh, the perfect person to preview the NFC North because, well, she covers the NFC North for Fox Sports. Uh, she is Carmen Vitali. Carmen, thank you so much for joining the show. Thank you so much for having me. This is so much fun. And just even the mention of Lenny, I'm like, oh my God, am I fangirling? I'm fangirling <laughs> over the dog already. It so that's, it's super exciting. <laughs> um, before we get started, how, so you you were, on, I feel like, on the Bears beat before? Or how did you come to cover the NFC North for Fox? It was, they hired me right off the bat to cover the NFC North. I do have a lot of emphasis on the Chicago Bears, given the fact that I am a Chicago native and I live here currently. So it's just one of those things where you're within proximity of the team. Uh, but this is the division I grew up watching, and it's been really cool to have my career come full circle with Fox, where I get to cover these teams now because I was with Tampa Bay for so long. Uh, for six years and they right. were NFC central rivals, really? but like, I didn't, you know, I didn't have any connection really to the, the Buccaneers or their fan base. I grew to love and still love them very, very much, but this is, this has been really cool to get to that, be that, around all these teams. That is how I came across your work. I can't believe I forgot that, that you used to work for the, for the Bucks. And I um, read a few pieces you wrote for Buccaneers.com and they were excellent. I thought just really yes. comprehensive uh, and insightful. So the NFC North is lucky to have you. And I would argue you're lucky to cover the NFC North because I think this is an exciting time in the division. I think all four of these teams are legitimately interesting, um, mm -hmm. different expectations for the season. And I think if you were to you know, power rank them, actually, you'd probably have a, quite a difference of opinion in how these teams fall. Maybe we can try that at the end. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah, you don't have to, but we can kind of, well, so no, we, some, can, we can talk about it. Yeah. Well, you know, with the, I feel like with the departure of Aaron Rodgers, um, and his ayahuasca fueled seasons, according to him, uh, <laughs> the, it feels open, but I say that and like, they didn't even win last year. So that's dumb. The Vikings won. Uh, and I think everyone kind of, obviously the lions knocked them out, which I felt like was a real, kind of changing of the torch moment, even though the liking, Viking, the Lions, pardon me, didn't make it. It was anyways, it's just a lot of change right now. Um, yeah. So I, 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 it's exciting. I think all, all four fan bases have reasons to be excited for this season um, and like positive sentiment going into it. I actually wrote something for Fox sports. I wrote a whole series of the case for each team to win this division because I think each of them have a strong case to say, wait a second, we have this, this, and this. How is yeah. that? You know, That's not worse than what these other guys have. So this division is just completely wide open. Nothing would shock me uh, when we're fast forwarding to the end of the season as far as the results of all of this. I'm glad you brought up the changing of the torch, though, because the, I predicted the Lions ending up winning this division mm. for a series that we did with Fox. But... 
The reason I did that was literally because of the Week 18 game up in Lambeau Field and the Lions beating the Packers to keep them out of the playoffs. The Lions had nothing to play for at that point. The the Seahawks had won. Your Seahawks had won at that point. So they knew that they were out. And they just decided that they were going to go up there. And if we're not in the playoffs, guess what? The Green Bay Packers aren't going to be either. And that sold me on this team right off the bat. I was like, these my petty kings. Yes. I just appreciate well, it. So I mean, much. gosh, no greater reflection of the culture than change in that team than going up and winning with no reason to win. I think it was why, you know, I mean, you know, I'm a CS fan, so I was annoyed by the schedulers. I was like, this is not fair. <laughs> but if there was one team that we thought might actually play their hearts out, it was Detroit, um, who are the favorites going into the year. I agree mm-hmm. with you. I think you mm-hmm. could, you can make a case for all these teams to either win the division or be a wild card team. Um, so let's get into it. Uh, let's start, let's start with the bears. Cause you're in Chicago. Yeah. Uh, you know, this team very well. Uh, so very active off season. Uh, you know, we've talked about it a lot. Uh, so let's start with the offense because so much of this off season seems to have been about basically building a better infrastructure around Justin Fields. And also notably it shouldn't be overlooked, uh, signifying that they believe in Justin Fields because they had the number one overall pick. They did not spend it on a quarterback. They went out and they traded for DJ Moore. So I guess uh, let's start with Fields. Um, you know, you're around this team a lot. You've talked to the coaching staff. I think with him, there's always this question of, okay, last year he was this absolutely electric runner, but passing his numbers were not very good. It was very inconsistent, inconsistent in certain ways. Um, but how much of that do we put on the offensive line, the lack of weaponry? Where is like internally, what are you hearing with regards to that balance of like accountability versus bad situation? And what are people seeing in him now with improved circumstances? You're going to get the coach speak every single time. But in this case, I think that it was very clear that the coaching staff felt that the onus was on them, that there was just not enough for Justin Fields to work with. It was, again, his second system in second year. He has never gone into a season captaining an offense that he has been in before. This is the first time he's going to be able to do that. And like you said, the offensive line was a revolving door. He didn't have weapons to throw to even if he had had time to throw. So the coaching staff was very candid and kept kind of reiterating, we're we're not putting him in position to make plays at this point. He's bailing us out. He is the one using his legs. And we saw that all last season. I mean, he broke the rushing record. And he also said, though, that that's not something that he wants to continue. He doesn't want to keep rushing for a 1,000 yards every single year. But when you have that dynamic of a quarterback, obviously that factors into the scheme. So what Luke Getze, their offensive coordinator, is going to try and do this year is create – a an offense that utilizes Justin's legs, having him factor into the run scheme, making him part of that running back by committee type of approach to the season, while also being able to surround him with continuity on the offensive line, weapons that he can actually throw to and rely on, experienced weapons like DJ Moore. And now you've gotten rid of any excuse for Justin Fields. You've given him all the tools. You're tailoring the system for him. And if he doesn't succeed this year, that then you'll know this is, this is the telltale year before they have to pick yeah. up his fifth year option. If he's going to be the quarterback of the future, that's what the focus of this off season was for Ryan Poles was to make sure that Justin Fields 
has everything he needs to be successful because that didn't happen last year. And yeah. so they can make a decision on him. Yeah, I think that it, the timing of it works out. Although it does remind me a little bit almost in like New York with Daniel Jones, where it was, you know, well, they're a little bit ahead of schedule because it's only, you know, it's been two years. So this is year three. But I think with regards to the ways his game needs to evolve, it's it's, it's a little tricky because there's kind of a balance here. Like clearly he needs to throw the ball quicker, 3.12 time to throw last year. This was something that was a concern in college. I think, but you also want to balance that. Like his time to throw is always going to be a little bit high because yeah. he does extend plays with his legs. He was excellent throwing on the move last year, ninth in QBR on designed rollouts. That has to be a part of his game. So there are going to be aspects of it that make those numbers somewhat inflated. But you want to see him not have to wait for guys to get open, to throw with anticipation. I think the... Um, area where you'd really like to see him improve is the accuracy on like that zero to 10 yard range mm -hmm. because the deep stuff that to me is about the receivers okay great we've got a better group now even the guy uh the uh, tyler scott who they drafted this year combined with yeah. dj Moore, like this I, I you know giving some depth behind mooney uh i feel good about the downfield throwing game i just feel this is an incredible downfield passer uh, intermediate. He was actually pretty decent last year. It's really like on the easy stuff. It's it's the, you know, mm -hmm. I want to see him check it down. I want to see him more accurate uh, on like RP, an RPO game might be nice, you know, that is right. functional. And I think if he can improve, it doesn't even have to be like a massive improvement. But if you see some of those things tick up a little bit, that coupled with the floor that his rushing gives you, you feel good about the trajectory of his career. Yeah, listen, the expectations for quarterbacks in this town are not high. The Chicago Bears have never had a 4,000-yard passer. They're not even asking for that out of Fields. For Fields to be the best quarterback that the Bears have ever had, his the, the bar is the floor. <laughs> like, he, if he has, if he sniffs the 3,000-yard passing season this year and keeps his touchdown-to-interception ratio in a good place and takes care of the football – then that's that's all you need uh, to get this town to get so uh, you know get the support. And Dude, they're the already support. behind him. Like when people were they like are. talking about the possibility that they might trade Justin Fields or moves on from him, Bears fans got so mad. I have never experienced anything like it, and I grew up in this market. But seeing it from a reporter's perspective, I'm like the optimism coming from Bears fans as to Justin Fields becoming this world beating NFC leading quarterback is insane. There are so many people out there that legitimately believe that this is the year it's going to happen. And I think honestly, it has a lot to do with what Jalen Hurts was able to do last year because people mm. are now looking at that being like, Oh, so yeah. that's possible. So it's possible. And that's a great point. They're trying to now think that Justin Fields is going like, they're taking for granted that that's possible for Justin Fields when he wasn't as like Jalen Hurts had better passing stats in his year two. He had like he was his floor was a lot higher than what Justin Fields has shown us so far. Yes. But again, he gets DJ Moore just like Jalen Hurts got, <laughs> got AJ Brown. Yeah. And now it's like, all right, it, it, can that one receiver, can that one player make that much of a difference? And we saw it happen for Jalen Hurts. So now does the some of the onus also fall on DJ yeah. Moore? to help develop Justin Fields. But it's the optimism in this town, man. 
It's it's something to the behold. J- the Jalen Hurts comp is great. And it's funny because we're doing the same thing with like Anthony Richardson. Well, look what happened to Jalen Hurts, you know, and they have the same coach. But I, I think with Justin Fields, it's really apt because, um, you know, I, that time to throw, that's about what Jalen Hurts averaged his yeah. first year starting in the NFL. Um, now, to your point, his he his floor he looked better, but he also was in a much better situation in Philadelphia year one, even without AJ Brown. That was still yes. you know. Um, so, I, yeah, I, I, you you definitely see the paradigm and some the skill set. There's some similarities, some differences, but it does give you hope, especially because I think you know this is a good um, a good staff, right? Too. I think that was obviously year one such an issue with Fields as well, comparably. Yeah. Um, so, but Jalen, it wasn't just about AJ Brown, of course. Jalen Hurts gets to play behind the best offensive line in football. So, how do you regard the Bears' offensive line? A lot of changes this off season. Um, what do you think? Like, are you? Do you think that they're much improved? Like, how do you regard the group? The improvement comes in the continuity because they already have, they have their starting five now. And that's not a luxury that Bears fans or that this team had last year. It was a constantly revolving door. You were trying guys out at different spots. You had a rookie left tackle that was taken in the fifth round out of Southern Utah. And he played every single snap for you, which is great. And I can't stress enough how much of an accomplishment that is for Ryan Poles, drafting a guy, picking a guy out of literal obscurity (laughs) to have him be your starting left tackle. But he had to take his lumps. And I think there was also a mentality of the fact, well, Justin can get himself out of trouble. So we can play around with the offensive line, whereas obviously that's the unit that you need continuity on. At this point, though, they have their starting five. They talked to us about the starting five in minicamp, and we were all kind of like, oh, okay, cool. You're like, you're you're telling us this now, and and this is the plan. So from left to right, you have now Braxton Jones, who's going into year two as left tackle. He's spent the offseason getting stronger. He has not left the weight room from everything that I've heard um, this entire offseason. Didn't take a vacation, nothing like that. And then they moved Tevin Jenkins to left guard. They initially tried to try him at left tackle in his rookie year. That didn't go. And then it was like right tackle. It's been a journey for Tevin Jenkins. He found a home at right guard last year and he yeah. did really good, well good. at the guard yeah. position. But I think they brought in Nate Davis from Tennessee now to occupy the right guard spot. So Tevin Jenkins is now left guard. Mm-hmm. You've got Cody Whitehair starting center who has over 4,000 snaps at the position, despite the fact he was playing guard last year and had for the last couple of seasons. Uh, you have Lucas Patrick kind of in the mix there, but it doesn't sound like it's too much of a competition. It's really Cody Whitehair's job, but they're making sure that Lucas Patrick is ready to go if something should happen to Cody because Cody had injuries last year. Lucas Patrick had injuries last year that really stunted Justin Fields and his understanding of the offense. Nate Davis, the newcomer on the on right guard, and then you have right tackle. You have their first-round mm-hmm. pick, Darnell Wright, out of Tennessee, uh, who I think a lot of people were surprised to see that he went that high. But Ryan Poles worked him out uh, personally. He, he flew to Tennessee and he had a workout with him. And Ryan Poles being a former offensive lineman himself, I trust his evaluation of offensive linemen. If I don't trust anything else, I trust his, that, that evaluation. So they finally have that continuity. And now Justin can continue to build a rapport with his center and his center is experienced. I think that's the biggest part and why this line seems so much more improved to me is if he stays healthy, Cody Whitehair has experience at center. An experienced center can absolutely take so much off of a quarterback's plate. 
right? You yeah. can make the checks. You can make the IDs for Justin. You can tell him what he's looking at. You can identify the defense for him, which a lot of centers do, um, especially when if you've got a young guy behind you. So that, I think, is going to be the – I mean, I'm an offensive line – I just love offensive linemen. I'd like that – that. I, they're so underappreciated and I just I root for the underdog every time. So that particular relationship though, I think a lot of people take for granted or really don't understand how crucial and important it is. So white hair fields. Yeah. It sounds good. I mean, on paper, it's like, all right, everybody's role sounds good. You've seen either decent play or promise or, you know, in the case of right experience from all of these guys, like it, it, it figures to be a much improved unit. Um, you know, last year, a lot of sacks, I think the highest sack rate in the NFL, a lot of that's on Justin, yep. too. Uh, but they were actually a very good run-blocking group, finished 11th mm-hmm. in adjusted line yards. And I think I expect the rushing attack to continue to be very good, even with the departure of David Montgomery. Um, I am a big Khalil Herbert fan. I also am a Khalil Herbert dynasty owner, so I'm like, come on, let's keep that starting <laughs> so job. Wishful, but it's, it's wishful the, uh, he, the advanced Manifest metrics destiny. really like him. Uh, let all running backs in rushing yards over expectation mm-hmm. per carry uh, on fewer carries than Nick Chubb, who you know has had more than 200. Um, but you know, and the question is, okay, well, can he was third in rushing DVOA? Can he be a bell cow back? There were three games where he he was the starting. He had more than 15 carries with Montgomery's injuries. And in those three games, he averaged six yards a carry. Um, I, I think he's quite good. Uh, I know that they added some depth at that position behind him. But I am not worried about this rushing attack taking a step back at all. No, I'm not either because if he did all of that while wrestling carries away from Dave Montgomery because it wasn't just an injury – he did get some work just on top, especially on third down. He's very versatile. He can catch passes out of the backfield. He can be your three down back. That's something that Matt Eberflus has been very effusive in praise of, that he can do it all. But he's also not going to have to. You have Deontay Foreman, who, again, is very versatile. And then you go out and get a guy like Roshan Johnson, yeah. who the, the interesting thing about Roshan is, yes, he was behind Bijan Robinson, so he's somewhat of an unknown at Texas but what he was asked to do because he was behind Bijan Robinson was pass block. That is not an, a skill set that most running backs coming out of college have. And now you can factor that into this running, this rushing game in Chicago, make that transition seamless, maybe have him come in on some third down situations when it's, you know, when he needs to pass block or even catch. He's a good receiver for all we um, have seen of him. So I just, every single back in this room has so much versatility and you can do, you can get so creative with that. And then again, adding in the fact that your quarterback can act as a running back, like not just a mobile quarterback. Justin Fields was the most explosive runner in the NFL last year among quarterbacks or running backs. So always help your run game overall. Exactly. Running. So having a defense have to, especially imagine like trotting out two backs into that, you know, onto the field, having Justin Fields being the run threat that he is as a defense. How are you supposed to defend that? So it creates a lot of math problems for defenses. And then you actually have a functional passing attack. They should be able to benefit from all those single high looks and stacked boxes. I had a, a coach tell me that he thought Roshan Johnson was like the most underrated back in this class. So we'll see if he gets better. Not take snaps from uh, Khalil Harbor as the dynasty owner. 
not worried about the rushing attack. Very excited about the offense. I am, however, worried about the defense. Uh, and that is, this is where my pessimism is going to kick in a oh, bit. Yeah. Uh, this is a defense that was flat-out terrible last year. 32nd versus the pass, 30th versus the run, 30th in opposing QBR, 31st in pressure rate, 31st in sack rate, 30th in yards after the catch or reception. You get the idea. They did make some changes, uh, spending a lot at linebacker, which I want to get to in a second. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, adding some uh, draft picks. But this defensive run, I, no. it's it- not... It's bad. <laughs> it's really bad. Uh, and I keep waiting. Let me ask everything. Okay, so right now we're looking at Demarcus Walker, who has been decent when he's been healthy, but health has been an issue. Yeah. On the inside, Andrew Billings, Justin Jones, Zach Pickens, and uh, Gervin, Gervon Dexter are the, the guys Dexter, that they drafted. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then I guess Travis Gibson may be rushing the opposite mm-hmm. side. So, Carmen, my assumption was that they were going to sign someone else. It's June. Like, where are you? What are you hearing? What are you feeling? What are you believing with regards to this pass rush? Because frankly, what pass rush would be my question. It's been pretty much radio silence as far as if they're going to, because guys like, yeah, Yannick Nguakwe is still out there. I've made that point a bunch of times where, and you have the money. Justin Houston. Justin Houston. You have the money to go out and get these guys too. Um, I think they're still what, like 30, 40, $40 million under the cap. Wow. But it's one of those, I know, they still have the most cap space um, in the league. And it's one of those things where it's evident that they're still trying to build from the inside out on this defensive front. And they want to have yeah. this rotation of players on those interior spots. And that was the thinking behind taking two defensive tackles in the third round. But Javon Dexter, Ryan Poles, he drafts on traits. Because the role that they want Javon Dexter to play, which is that three-tech, is very different from what he was doing at Florida. At Florida, he was an interior D-tackle, two-gap D-tackle. So he was responsible for two gaps. In those situations, obviously, you're sitting back, you're taking up space, you're just trying to basically not let people through. But you're not pressing the, the pocket. You're not trying to really get after the quarterback from those interior spots when that's the system you play in. Jervon Dexter has told us that's not what he likes to do. He likes to try and get after the the quarterback and he likes to try and use his athleticism. And so the Bears saw that and have told him, listen, you're only going to be responsible for one gap in this system. We want you to push the pocket. We want you to get after the quarterback as much as possible from that interior spot, from that three technique. Whether or not he's going to be able to do it, that's that's the gamble the Bears are taking. And they have Justin Jones as their starting three tech. Um, of, you know, Packers fans are um, but he, I'm just not, he, this is his second year in the system. So we'll see if he gets a little bit better, yeah. but he was basically though, the consolation, I, I hate to say it this way, but he was a consolation prize for Larry Ogunjobi failing a physical. Mm. So he came in right after that all fell through. So you can't help, but kind of view him as someone that they didn't perhaps go after, but he was, it was someone they settled for. Uh, which those aren't the good best relationships, right? Uh, this is all to say that seems to be the focus right now is figuring out the interior because there's been almost no mention of what's going on on the off the edge. And yeah. you said to Marcus Walker, he's a little bit of a versatile player. He can play inside a little bit inside, a little bit outside. Travis Gibson, he's, he's got a lot. He's more like from. a great piece on a defense. Piece, it's it's a I defensive line made of pieces. That's exactly what it right. is. They're like players who could be the second or third player on, you know, a good team. But 
Yeah, it's I, I just don't know how they're going to get after the quarterback. Uh, I do know how they're going to um, cover and stop the run in the middle of the field because they invested so much at linebacker, which, uh, you know, it, it makes sense. Uh, they play a ton of base coverage in Ibuflus's 4-3. I pulled it because I was curious. It was like the third most in the NFL, I think. Yeah. Um, that's a lot. And... The, I've talked myself into Tremaine at choosing Tremaine Edmonds over Roquan Smith, which was a decision that in the moment after the Smith trade and when they signed Edmonds, I was like, I don't know. I, I'm like a huge Roquan Smith fan. I love his yeah, game. Too. I love his style of play. But um, over the last few days, I've been watching the Bills defense for my defenses pod, and I was just kind of watching Tremaine Edmonds. And it makes sense. Uh, given everything that like Matt Eberflus says when he talks about defense, when he talks about Edmonds, like the significance of having like a super long, big-bodied, athletic guy who can cover and just like take away the middle of the field and interfere with pa- and and that's who Edmonds was last. He was fantastic in coverage last season for the Bills. Um, he really, I think emerged and kind of became the player he everyone thought he could be. The only concern I have is that it was one year Carmen, but yeah. the combination of him and Edwards is just like a super competent, you know, uh, linebacker. I think it's a couple of Jack Sanborn is decent. Like this is probably mm-hmm. one of the better linebacking groups in the entire NFL right now. I completely agree. If there's any strength on this team that I feel good about, especially on the defensive side of the ball, it's the linebacking core. And I think you need to think of the Roquan Smith trade for Tremaine Edmonds and factor TJ Edwards into that as well and realize that they they came as like a package deal from different teams, obviously. And plus they picked up an extra, the Bears picked up an extra draft pick through all of that, the finagling of the trades and everything like that. Um, but I think TJ Edwards has probably been the most not ta- even within Chicago, the most not talked about signing this offseason that's going to make the biggest impact. He, this is a guy that wore the green dot for the Eagles last year that that's one of the best defenses in the NFL, if not the best defense in the NFL. So you have a guy that's that smart and can support this defense from that weak side linebacker spot, which is something that's very important in Ibraflus's defense coupled with a guy that's super physical, strong, lengthy, and and fast in what we saw in Tremaine Edmonds last year, those two are really going to be able to take over and lead this defense. And then, yes, you have Jack Sanborn, who is just like the cult favorite of every Bears fan. He's a local kid. TJ Edwards is a local kid, too. Two of those guys are local kids uh, to Chicago. But everybody loves Jack Sanborn. He's such a good story. Um, and, and the fact that he was able to earn himself a starting spot, like pull himself up by his bootstraps, you know, city of broad shoulders, all that business. So everybody loves Jack Sanborn. Um, and he hits, I mean, he is reminiscent of the days of Brian Urlacher and Lance Briggs, where these were really physical linebackers that just hit real hard. And you can tell that he kind of grew up look, watching that because that's the kind of player he is. So that's really, really fun. I'm I, I trust that this linebacking core is exactly where they yeah. want it to be. Um, and now it's just a matter of shoring up the rest of the defense. And I yeah. think even the secondary, I, I can be sold on, but there's no depth. There, That's what worries me. Yeah, this it's okay. There's like, you know, I think Jalen Johnson has been high highs, ups and downs. Yeah, Kyler Gordon from my beloved Huskies. I think he's going to be in the slot more this year, so that maybe that'll help. Um, Starting nickel. Yeah, that 
Juan Brisker is a really cool player, but like it's they're very young. They're very young. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the sixth most base personnel. So Jack Sanborn will be on the field. You know, don't know any panic. Um, yeah. Anyways, in summary, Bears offense, very excited to see if Justin Fields can take that next step. Bears defense, I don't know where the pass rush is coming from, and that makes it hard for me. I, I, I do get a little bit concerned about that when I talk about this team. So that's Same kind way. of, yeah. But the success for the Bears isn't isn't winning games this year. Yes. Success for the Bears is having a productive offense. That's what totally could to. not agree more. That is, I think, a thousand percent true. I think they recognize that going into the season. Um, but yeah, would be would be nice if the the defense isn't on, you know, stays on the field a little bit and gives the offense time to rest. Okay, speaking of great offenses, let's talk about the Lions, who are the favorites <laughs> to win the division. Mm-hmm. Um. A lot of changes, uh, both sides of the ball. Uh, we'll start with the offense, though. This was an offense that was fantastic last season. Fifth in passing, DVA. Jared Goff, back in a huge way. Fifth in QBR, fourth back, in back. QBA. Yeah. Um, probably the most significant thing of everything that happened was that they retained their offensive coordinator, Ben Johnson, which I thought he was gone. Um, I think everybody did. Yeah. Well, why all of the stay? players were all of the players were like rejoicing when when that came through and when he announced that he was staying. I, that was easily the biggest move of the offseason for the Lions was a move that never happened. That's such a good. I mean, did you hear anything about why he stayed? I mean, what? We you- honestly, um, everything that he said was just that he really believes in what this team is doing and. It goes back to that culture that Dan Campbell has instilled. I mean, I was yeah. in that locker room when they were losing, like early on in the season. And I don't want this to be misconstrued as a bad thing because it's not. I would have never known they were losing because all of those players were having so much fun still with each other. And I've just never seen that. On all the Bucks teams I was a part of that were losing horribly, yeah. That the locker room was not a fun place to go. And when you have the belief that these players have in Dan Campbell and when his, and the belief that his staff has in the players in turn, and it's just a really good culture that he's built there. And it's something that's not quantifiable, but it nevertheless, it's extremely important to having success as a team. And when they started to turn it all around, I mean, you couldn't tell those guys anything. They were having so like even more fun than they were obviously when they were losing. So when you're a coordinator and you feel like you're on the cusp of doing something really cool, I just, I, it makes sense to me why he stayed. And, and the fact that it seems like they're kind of giving him the things that he wants and the tools that he needs uh, to come up with something really creative because the way that I've just fallen in love with watching his scheme and the way he's able to exploit defenses and identify areas of, you know, of weakness within them. I mean, he's playing chess. He's doing all of that and setting people up um, with the looks and the window dressing and all of that. And then trotting out something completely different than you expected just on a constant basis. He's staying ahead of it. And I, I and love that. He's not doing it with like this incredible group of skill player. I mean, I like, some of these Lions players a lot. They have a very good offensive line, an offensive line that was fantastic uh, last year, uh, despite the fact that like Vitae was out for the season out. and he comes back. back so this, they could potentially be even better this season. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, outside of him, I mean, 
and I think this is where um, I wouldn't say like it's a concern about the Lions offense, but this is where I think that you can ask kind of questions about, okay, can they keep it up in the first half of this season? They don't have Jameson Williams. They didn't have Jameson Williams for a lot last season too, most of the season, right? Uh, but they don't have DJ Chark. He's gone. So right now the wide receiver group is the wonderful Amon Ross, St. Brown, uh, and then you got Josh Williams or Josh Reynolds, pardon me. Marvin Jones is back. They drafted Sam Laporta, who's a very fun yards after catch guy, you know, from Iowa. Um, they draft Jameer Gibbs, shocking everybody as the second running back after signing David Montgomery. So you look at that group and you're like, okay, like I can see how they can be an efficient offense, uh, how they can attack the middle of the field, but is there anyone who can win outside? Like I, I kind of think <laughs> Ben Johnson's works a little bit cut out for him, which isn't to say that they won't be ef- efficient on offense. I just don't think it's necessarily going to be super easy for him. I think I got in a little bit of trouble with Lions fans saying that I still felt like they needed a number one re- wide receiver. They still need that X receiver, that guy on the outside, because for as productive as Amon Ross St. Brown was last year, he's a slot guy. That's where he's. That's where he makes yeah. his money. That's where he his bread and butter. That's out of the slot, and he, he's a fantastic route runner. He's a really fun player to watch, but he's not that true outside guy that Jamison Williams, I think, can be. But you're going to be without him for the first six weeks. One thing that struck me when I was talking to a few of the coaches there and got and people around the building after the draft, you know, I'm like. Trying to talk myself into Jameer Gibbs and I'm trying like and, and 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 Jack Campbell even and I'm like, all right, make this make sense to me. And essentially how I think that they're thinking of Jameer Gibbs is, you know, DeAndre Swift gets traded the day after they they draft him, and he is basically what they want De- they wanted DeAndre Swift to be. And that is factoring into the pa- the receiving game. Like they are treating him as yeah. one of the as as the as part of the quick game as part of the shallow and intermediary uh, route running route runners. Like they want him to be part of this receiving game, and they want him to act as a Christian McCaffrey, a Debo Samuel, like one of those guys that is a do it all kind of Swiss Army knife that you can put all around the offense, and then you know that that really creates some matchup issues for defenses and allows you to be really creative. And I think that that's something that Ben Johnson is up to the task of doing. So that made me feel a little bit better about it. I was like, okay, if you're trying to tell me that you're just seeing these guys as weapons versus receivers, tight ends, running backs, I kind of get it. I don't know that I'm totally sold. Yeah, <laughs> I'm taking him no. as high and paying him as much and whatever. But I think that the, the, when you're talking value about Value is him, one question, but – we're past, you know, now we're talking about what is he going to look like on the football field? I think it'll look cool right. on the football field. You know, he has so very Camara tendencies uh, that I think Ben Johnson will have a lot of fun with. I am just really interested in seeing what the offense looks like those first six weeks without Williams. Without- and, and again, I know they didn't have Williams for a lot of last season, but they did have DJ Chark. And it's interesting, uh, Carmen, when they didn't have DJ Chark, who is a guy who plays outside and, and wins yeah. downfield, the offense looked really different with and without DJ Chark. Um, with him, they had a design pass rate of 66%, which to put in context is about the Bengals, very high, like fifth highest in the NFL. In the games where they didn't have DJ Chark, that dropped to 51%, which is the Bears, 31st. <laughs> so they really leaned heavily on the run when they didn't have a receiver who could win outside. 
Um, EPA per play dropped off too. Still very good because again, they're just like a very good running team. But uh, you know, as you mentioned, Gibbs is a little bit different. So like it's like well, we see in the beginning of the season a lot of two back looks, but then will Gibbs split out sometimes? Will he be in motion? Like how are they going to? keep him on the field because I do think he's going to need to contribute immediately um, given the limitations of the rest of the skill players. Yeah. And I, when you also think about the fact it's interesting, Jamal Williams last year didn't have, you know, the yardage totals, but he had six, 17 touchdowns. I like, I mean, yeah, it was just a tremendous amount of production and now you feel like, all right, maybe David Montgomery is is slotting into that role and you, you go to him in the red zone, you go to him on the goal line and you get that production out of him. Although David Montgomery is versatile in his own right and was a do-it-all guy for the Bears, obviously. But um, it's just going to be interesting with how they deal with those two because, yeah, you're not – you don't have DJ Chark. You don't have a guy to stretch the field um, for the first six weeks. And you also don't have your number your your number one production or pro- producer in touchdowns, which is Jamal Williams. Um, I it's there's this is like where you find out though, like is Ben Johnson really this wonder kid that we think he is? Yeah, it's a so, it's uh, yeah. Part of the reason I'm confident is because I he's already shown so much, but yeah, like to your point, like it's not this is not the Eagles. He's not walking it, you know, like. There's some challenges here. Let me ask you one more thing about the offense. Are you worried at all about regression from Jared Goff? Because last season, a bit of an outlier compared to the previous four years. Yeah, you, as a, as a responsible football fan, you have to be, <laughs> right? Because Jared Goff has not shown consistency, you know, dating back to his time with the Rams. Um, but that being said, again, Ben Johnson's system is a very quarterback-friendly system. And yes. he is... He makes things easy on Jared Goff, not to mention, I can't say enough about the fact that this is one of the best offensive lines in football, probably second to only the Eagles. And that makes a huge difference when you not only have the offensive line shored up, but they have tremendous amount of depth behind those. They don't have swing tackles. They don't have guys that they're like, all right, he could be a right tackle or left tackle. They literally have a depth chart on this inflated roster too deep of different guys at every position behind the offensive line which is, I, that's not the norm at all. So they continue to invest in their strengths and they know that that's their strengths. And I just, I really respect a King who understands that everything begins <laughs> up front and that is Ben Johnson. And he knows that he can make things easy on Jared Goff if yeah. he has those guys up front. So it's I, a great group. As it, it and that gets Vitae back, as I talked about, it's like right. kind of slept on. And they signed Grant Glasgow yeah. too. So even if, yeah. if Vitae isn't the player that... You need yeah. him to be coming off the back surgery. You have, you have they just the depth. It's just, yeah, wrong. no, it's, it, it's one of those things where like, I look at Jared Gaff and I'm like, all right, if the situation is bad, I don't believe in you. Sorry. Like I, if this offensive line lost players, I would probably lose faith in Jared Gaff. Yeah. If I thought that they weren't able to have such a successful play action attack because of, you know, they're, they're winning, they're a good run game. I mean, Jared Goff is still a play action merchant. His numbers with and without reflect that. I would be worried, but I'm not worried about those things or not really worried. You never know what happens to injuries because I think the circumstances are still going to be very good around him. And we have seen when the circumstances are good around Jared Goff, Jared Goff's a good quarterback. So uh, they have a contingency not terribly worried plan. about it. They have a contingency yes. plan too. I mean, they took Hendon Hooker. So uh, yeah, we'll that, was, I, that was a great pick for where they got him in the third yeah, round. Yeah, totally. I like, really, loved it, the value. I, yeah. I do love that. 
and you're not going to um, expect anything from him right away. So we'll that's going to be a spicy preseason because if he'll probably look awesome in the preseason, and uh, <laughs> if Jared Goff struggles, there'll, there'll be calls. All right, so the defense is interesting. Uh, let's go back to front here um, because yeah. that this was one of the more dramatic uh, position group makeovers in the entire NFL. This Lions secondary, which was awful mm-hmm. last year. Uh, a little bit better in the second half of the season, yeah. mostly because the pass rush was really came alive in the second half of the season, and that really helped. Still, very not a good tackling team, not good in coverage. Ended up finishing twenty third against the pass, twenty sixth against the run. So they go out. They sign Camp Sutton, who's a very competent corner to a three year deal. They bring in Aaron Glenn, their defensive coordinator's old friend, CJ Gardner Johnson, to play the nickel. They draft Brian Branch behind him. They sign Emmanuel Mosley, who's a good player who's been injured. And then at safety, you've got Kirby Joseph, uh, Aaron Rodgers' worst nightmare, and Tracy Walker. Um, it's quite the transformation. Like, uh, I guess let's start there. Kind of, do you think it's enough? Uh, how do you regard the changes in this unit? Because it's going to look very different from last year. It's interesting because they run such an old school, it's that too high system that I feel like a lot of teams have gotten away from favoring to put, you know, one safety in the box at all times and, and have the one free safety in the back. But they're, they're using it in such an evolved way where in the way that they use offensive skill players as weapons, right, regardless of their actual positions, I think that's what you're seeing out of the defensive backfield too, in the sense that you have a guy like, I mean, Brian Branch is in that vein of Minka Fitzpatrick and he's that nickel safety guy that is, can really play a multitude of spots for you once he kind of gets, understands the game and can play it at the NFL level and at NFL speeds and stuff like that. But you have CJ Gardner Johnson, who again is just one of those guys that has played multiple positions throughout his career. Not that we want to take him out of position at all, but I think all of these guys, they're going to be able to do so many different things and present so many different looks in this backfield. I just think it's really funny how, yeah, that was the main, the reason that the Lions didn't win in the beginning of the season was because these guys were giving up just an exorbitant amount of yards. Um, and they said, this year, that's not happening. We're not getting off to a slow start because of our DBs and our, and our secondary. So I'm really interested to see what it ends up looking like because I think it's going to be very you're going to see some exotic looks. You're going to see some things that you haven't seen before. And if that can work in conjunction with the front and even with the linebackers, because linebackers factor into this pass rush too, that's going to be the key to this defense really being productive and really being something that Detroit can hang their hat on while the offense goes and puts up 35 points again. Yeah. I mean, I really liked a lot of these moves. I liked the cost of them too. And like the contracts they gave out, the particular players they chose I think Aaron Glenn's a very good coach and um, I think he like found a lot of players that fit his scheme. So I I really liked what they did in the back end. I think up front is probably where I still have some questions. Um, You know, Aiden Hutchinson was good last year, defensive rookie of the year. But um, when I look at the group as a whole, I'm like, ah, you know, how good is this pass rush? How good like are they particularly on the inside yeah, I, you know, I spotlighted Lim McNeil. I thought he had some good games, particularly the second half of the season. But, you know, when you look at the group as a whole, Kaminsky, Josh Pascal, McNeil, Isaiah Bugs, Hutchinson, you got the Aquaras, James Houston, who was situationally excellent last year. There's a lot of good players. I'm like, I, I, you know, 
are they great? Like, is it, right. can they be great? I don't know. Um, I think Hutchinson would probably have to take another leap or another step forward for me to feel really good about this group. Um, you know, they did draft Jack Campbell, who um, good coverage linebacker. I don't know how. I think he could have some if he starts, which is a big if. I think he could have some ups and downs at the beginning, as rookie linebackers tend to do. But the front seven, it's not. Um, I like. Let me put it this way: I like the secondary more than I like the defensive front for this. Yeah, group. I agree. I do think that this is again a testament to the coaching staff because they have gotten so much out of. so little and like James Houston is a really really great example of that I mean he didn't start till week 12 last year and then it's no it's I don't think it's a coincidence that their pass defense was better in the second half of last season as the pass rush came alive like you said you know last whatever seven games that was um and he recorded eight sacks so he finished right behind Hutchinson with nine sacks who had nine sacks and it also speaks, though, to the versatility of the front seven, which is kind of the name of the game, I feel like, with them. It was interesting. Yeah. So when they when they drafted Jack Campbell out of Iowa, very dear friend of mine who plays now left tackle for the Buccaneers, Tristan Wirfs, it, I texted him and I was like, Can do you know Jack? Tell me about Jack. And he's like, you don't even know. He's like, I was so excited to have him go in the first <laughs> round. I was hoping someone would realize like what a good player he is. He's like... And I'm like, okay, well, like, tell me. I'm like, coverage linebacker, that seems pretty rich. He's like, no, you've never seen him hit. And I'm like, oh. And, like, this is coming from an offensive lineman, a 330-pound offensive lineman being like, he hits like a Mack truck. So I'm like, I even asked some of the coaches in Detroit. I'm like, is it possible, that feasible that Jack Campbell isn't just a coverage linebacker and you brought him in to, you know, be this, like, bite off your kneecaps type guy. And I'm like, as soon as Tristan told me all of that though, I was like, Oh God, he just sounds like a Dan Campbell guy. That's, that's what this was. (laughs) But the fact that he can factor into a pass rush, even from those coverage spots um, is, and you saw that even from Alex Anzalone from Malcolm Rodriguez last year, where, you know, especially this was good. That was another reason when they picked him, I was like, Oh, is Malcolm Rodriguez still get to play? Yeah, but I think, again, it's it's you're going to have that rotation. I don't expect yeah. necessarily Jack to start right away. But all the reports I've heard from the coaches up there, they're, you know, he's like, they're gonna, he's going to be a really good player. Mm-hmm. And I agree with you that the inside, the interior of that defensive line is my biggest question mark. Uh, Isaiah Bugs is, is the vet, though, and he came back um, in free agency, decided to resign, and that was a big deal for them. So, um, I mean, the reality is if the offense is – anywhere close to how productive they were last season, the defense just needs to be averaged for them to win the division because this is a defense that was just really bad for much of the season (laughs) and then kind of figured it out near the end, right? But um, And I do think that they'll be uh, vastly improved, largely on the strength of all those additions they made in the secondary. So I am optimistic about them. I am optimistic about this team. I think it is correct to have them as the favorites to win the division. But... I do think uh team we're going to talk about after the break could threaten. Find out who that is. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do. Big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had happen in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful 
for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who have experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Mina Show today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Mina Show, M-I-N-A-S-H-O-W. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit style pizza in the country, there's no competition. And I have to say, speaking from experience recently, having tried it for the first time in Detroit, it is absolutely delicious. Right now, you can get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Tickets to the game, merch, meals at iconic restaurants, stays at Caesars Palace, all this can be yours when you bet with Caesars Sportsbook. Win or lose, every bet earns reward credits, which you can redeem across the empire. Now, if you haven't started yet, register using code OMAHAFULL, and then place your first bet up to $1,250. If you win, great, keep those winnings. But if you lose, you'll get your stake back as a bonus bet. 21 and older only, offer valid, and must be physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Massachusetts, Maryland, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming only. New users and first $10 plus wagers only. Must register with an eligible promo code. Bet amount of qualifying wager returned only if wager is settled as a loss. Maximum bonus bet, $1,250. Bonus bet expires 14 days after receipt. Tier credits and reward credits will be added to the account within seven days after qualifying wager settles. See Caesars.com slash promos for full terms. Void where prohibited. Know when to stop before you start. Gambling problem? Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. Colorado, Wyoming, Kansas, affiliated with Kansas Crossing Casino, call 1-800-522-4700. Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Iowa, call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Louisiana, call 1-877-770-STOP. Licensed through Horseshoe, Bossier City, and Harris, New Orleans. Massachusetts, call 1-800-327-5050 or visit gamblinghelplinema.org. Michigan, call 1-800-270-7117. Illinois, Maryland, New Jersey, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Ohio, Pennsylvania, affiliated with Harris, Philadelphia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling referral services can be accessed by calling one 800 Gambler, it's 1-800-426-2537, or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. All right, we're back. Time to talk Vikings. Oh, the Vikings. I wasn't sure where you were going. Before the break. Yeah, I could have gone. I actually think that... You could have gone either way. Yeah, I really... I'm... I'm, I feel like um, my relationships with fan bases are just entirely come down to whether or not I'm positive about them. Uh, oh my god yeah yes. right and i've been like kind of weirdly positive about the packers this off season so i feel like i have a really good relationship right now with packers fans um <laughs> my relationship with vikings fans sometimes suffered last year because mm-hmm. it was not a, it was not a believer but um i do like some of the changes yeah. and i am optimistic about the offense so let's start there defense is a huge question mark offense however 
I think is going to be improved this season. Uh, it's an offense that like, I, I've talked about this a lot, Carmen, like it was such a bizarro season from Kirk Cousins because statistically he was like bad, but I actually was more impressed by his play maybe than I have been in previous seasons. Um, I have spoken about this. I, you know, I, I really feel like, when they traded for TJ Hawkinson, it really did unlock something in this offense. I mean, halfway through the season, Kirk Cousins goes from ranking 32nd in average depth of target to eighth. Mm-hmm. Um, no coincidence that it you know happened around the same time that they trade for Hawkinson. Not because Hawkinson is you know he, he's throwing to him downfield because finally things. Uh, there was a bit more space for for Justin Jefferson. And also Kirk kind of just decided that he trusted Justin Jefferson on literally every possible <laughs> throw, which is a, a stance I support. Now you throw in Jordan Addison, who can is a really elite separator. And suddenly, like, I, I don't see why this passing attack won't be better than it was last season. No, I think there was, going back to the, the TJ Hawkinson and how that really opened things up for Kirk, like, because TJ Hawkinson is so good at yards after the catch, I think a lot of people were like, oh, well, that was mostly TJ Hawkinson's. You get those long passes, whatever, and that was mostly the work of him. But Kirk Cousins, his average, his air yards per attempt went up right after they got TJ uh, Hawkinson. I think he had three what – was, what did I write down? I think he had, mul- he had multiple games with double-digit air yards per attempt average, whereas he had none before TJ got there. He was zinking so, and dunking, yeah. He was, and he also trusted TJ on third downs, and we don't need to go yes. into the fourth and eight against the Giants and how that was short. <laughs> Tough way to end, yeah. Kevin O'Connell took uh, took the took the brunt of that. Honestly, he took he took responsibility for that. But that being said, the addition of Jordan Addison, I think, is just huge because again. All you need to do is keep some attention off of Justin Jefferson. Not all, because you're not you're never going to. But like you said, Kirk, Kirk just trusts him implicitly, and he's warranted mm-hmm. that trust as the offensive player of the year. So you just have to distract some players on the defense. Just make sure that not all eleven are accounting. Are covering for, Justin Jefferson, yeah. Covering I, Justin Jefferson. You know, I, I I like Kevin O'Connell. I like the way he talks about the offense. I like the things he says. Um one of the things that he has mentioned is kind of wanting the offense to be a bit more balanced. And I think it's interesting mm-hmm. because this is a team that was extremely pass heavy last year, sixth he- pass heaviest team on first down in the NFL, fourth pass heaviest on second down. Um, but to me, when he talks about balance, that doesn't mean we're going to run the ball, you know, more on mm-hmm. early downs. It means we're going to run the ball when it's favorable to run the ball. And we're going to do so efficiently. The Vikings, faced a ton of too high coverage last year, very high rate of light boxes, Uh, but they didn't run into them a lot. And then when they did, they Mm -hmm. weren't particularly efficient in doing so. I think this is part of the reason why they were willing to make the change and move on from Dalvin Cook this offseason. So so for me, when he talks about balance, I don't hear like a stone age kind of we're going to not throw the ball all around the yard. I hear... We're a team that wants to run in favorable situations and we want to be more multiple. Maybe, you know, they go out and they added Josh Oliver. Maybe we're going to see more. This is a very 11 happy team. Maybe we're going to see more two tight end sets. Maybe we'll get CJ Ham on the field more. Maybe we'll see different types of runs instead of just yeah. 
outside zone. And I could see the entire offense looking better in year two of his regime in Minnesota. Yeah, I mean, they live and die by this zone scheme, though. To say, like, that's something that is just kind of a base and core concept within, and everything kind of builds off of the run. And I think that that's something that's lost given the fact that, yeah, they weren't so efficient running, but what it's it's more about what the run game can open up for them. And I don't know if that maybe that speaks to the balance that Kirk Cousin or yeah. that Kevin O'Connell was talking about, because... I mean, it is. It's it's the Shanahan tree. It's the it's a, the ton of the window dressing that really is dressing up so many of the same concepts over and over again. And you look at the way that these guys practice and and what they're doing in each um, period of practice, which is different than most teams that I've seen, where like they're running they're they're running on blitz in blitz periods, which most teams like don't run in blitz, blitz periods, you know, they they're doing things where over and over and over again, they're still practicing how to run the ball and establishing that first. I don't want to say like establishing the run because I think that's dumbing down the concept a little bit, but everything kind of comes off of the run in this offense. And so the fact that they are kind of handing the reins to Alexander Matson, who I think is a great player. Not sold if he's the guy and what's going to happen if you make him the guy, which is yeah. what they're doing. Um, but I like he's been a great compliment to Dalvin Cook. And I just hope that it continues in that sense, because, again, there is so much creativity they can use. Minnesota fans are super well, super behind CJ Ham uh, in team intros. <laughs> you should just hear the crowd absolutely roar when he comes on the field. And- last year. I don't know. I yeah. didn't pull the numbers, but uh yeah, I feel like I, we saw him. It was it was an interesting moment in the NFL because I think fullback usage like really rose for a lot of the mm-hmm. really good offenses in the yeah, NFL. It's happening, Mina. They're they're trying to make fullbacks great again. It's, it's <laughs> they also added Dwayne McBride, who I talked about as one of the running backs I liked ahead of the draft, um, who is very much a zone back. He mm-hmm. hits that crease and goes, and is a big, strong. Uh, tackle breaking back. We'll see if he challenges Madison at all or gets some looks. Um, I think the offense, offensive lines, the continuity, a lot of continuity here. Um, tackle strong, interior still a bit iffy, but um, you know, I, I, I'm not. I, it's not a huge concern of mine. Um, yeah, I actually think they're underrated. I think their offensive line is underrated. I think that Christian Darris, and it's it's mostly due to Christian Darris. I think yeah. he's a top three left tackle in the league. And I don't think it's hyperbole to say that. he, The way that he moves and how athletic he is, he's so physical, and he's a Like, he's a total And that's exactly what you want out of your left, left tackle. He has that nasty streak. And him with Ezra Cleveland next to him, I mean, they're the left side of the line is just completely locked down for the Vikings, which is if you're going to choose between which side you want uh, to be a little bit better short up, it's obviously the left the left side. Garrett Bradbury is an interesting case for me because of the fact that when they were without him uh, a couple games towards the end of last season, it was catastrophic. The, the amount of times that Kirk Cousins got sacked in Garrett Bradbury's absence was exorbitant, and I felt so bad for Kirk at one point. Um, and it's not that I think that he's the best center, but when they're playing with the lead and when they're ahead of everything, 
the, he is what makes it be he, he's what makes that unit run as a well-oiled machine he uses his athleticism to his advantage and he's really more built for kind of those the play action game those naked bootlegs all that kind of stuff he's really not built to sit there and just pass protect like Christian Derrissaw is probably the only one on that line that can really hold up in that situation. Um, so that's where these guys get into trouble is when Kirk wants to hold the ball and that's what you see. So yeah, it just, it, but when it works, it just, it works. And that's why I say that they're underrated because if they are playing ahead of the sticks and they can be a little bit more aggressive from that line and, and get the, and Kirk can get the ball out quick or they can run the ball um, a lot more and they're not having to drop back and pass every down they're they're good they're really good and yeah. I think that they can be a lot better as long as they kind of keep that in mind and they don't get behind yeah I'm not I, we'll I, I agree I, I I I know I feel like Bradbury is like the subject of so much ire from Vikings fans um I know. I but know. um I, yeah I, I think overall I feel good about the offense right now Defense is going to be one of the more fascinating plot lines in the NFL this year. Um, I think a couple weeks ago I talked about, uh, yeah, it was a couple weeks ago, Brian Flores, like this being one of the more dramatic philosophical changes you will ever see in professional (laughs) football. Um, So I, I was looking at this roster and I'm like, you know, you can paint a picture where this all works out. (laughs) <laughs> like this, this is the events that was atrocious last year. I don't need to revisit the history, but no. you know, let, let the, Neil Hunter back to form last season. Very fascinating contract situation right now. Yes. Uh, they sign Marcus Davenport, who I believe is frankly better at this point in his career than Zedarius Smith. Certainly, you mm-hmm. really saw Zedarius Smith play tail off at the end of the season, which is why I think yeah. they were willing to move on. Uh, Marcus Davenport, I I really like him as a player. So that's like actually like a pretty sell. Like if they're healthy, that's a dynamic one-two punch at edge. Um, on the inside, bring Jordan Hicks. Okay, you know Brian Asmo, um played a little bit last year, but you know maybe he takes the leap. Maybe all of the young players, Andrew Booth Jr., Lewisine, who I really liked in college, Caleb Evans, yeah. who played a little bit, Makai Beck. Blackman, who they drafted this year, maybe they're all awesome, but that's it's just such a freaking mystery. Because the best case scenario for this defense, other than the edge rushers, is so predicated on young players mm-hmm. developing or playing right. well, or and 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 it. I just don't know what to say, Carmen. Like I, I maybe I don't know. Like what do you think? What are you hearing? Because this is such this a is where- there's such an unknown quantity. This is what gives me optimism. I went back and I looked at Flores' defenses in Miami. And I even went back to the Patriots when he was linebacker's coach. He took the Dolphins from his very his very first season in Miami. They were dead last in sacks. They had the worst pass rush in the league. They were absolutely anemic. In two years, he took them into the top five. And he did it without a single player reaching double-digit sacks. And that was what was interesting to me. Because I was looking at this personnel saying the same things you were, being like, well, they're young. And I just don't see enough there. And I'm like, Daniil Hunter and Marcus Davenport, if Daniil Hunter stays, you know, and plays and all that other stuff, I'm like, okay, I could talk myself into that. But I I don't see a blue chip pass rusher coming off the edge or, or from the interior, wherever. 
And then I realized that Brian Flores has never needed that uh, to have a very effective pass rush. And the way that he's gotten so creative in who he brings and how aggressive his yeah. schemes are from all three levels of the defense. I mean, I think I was, I was going through the numbers and you're talking 13, 14 guys are getting sacks um, throughout, throughout a season. And so you're like, okay, clearly. And then five, six, seven of them aren't guys along the defensive line. So that's what kind of gives me hope with this personnel. And again, you're shifting this entire system it's very stark, very different from what Ed Donatel was trying to do last year. Emphasis on the try part. Um, and I just think that Brian Flores is going to be able to be aggressive despite the lack of personnel. And I wrote about that mm-hmm. actually on FoxSports.com oh, nice. because I was so intrigued by that. Yeah, the no, fact it's, a great, it, it's a great point. Yeah. I think there's yeah. going to be a lot more aggression. I think there's going to be a lot more deception. The looks are going to be in the back end are going to be a lot more static. Um, you know, he asks a fair amount out of his safeties. I wouldn't be surprised, by the way, if uh, we see more of those safeties, if they use three of them more often. I mean, Harrison Smith mm-hmm. is the old man mainstay. I mentioned Lewis Seen. Calling uh, them old they when they're have... like still younger than me. He's pretty, he's getting up in the years. No, now. yeah, that's, I think he is like 35, 36. 35? Maybe he is older. For a safety. Uh, no. But Josh Metellus, Cam Bynum, like, I think. I wouldn't be surprised if we see three of those guys on the field a fair amount. Yeah. Um, which ones? I'm not sure. I hope seen I know. Uh, is healthy because I really liked him in college. Um, and I don't I think really, I, it sounds like. Oh, sorry. No, I think they're putting they're going to have to put a lot on him. Um, so I, he better be healthy. <laughs> yeah. And it sounds like Booth Jr. might not start at first. But again, I, I do think the best case scenario is one where he you know, lives up to his draft status. So we'll see, man. Um, Well, while we're talking about youth, let's move on to the youth movement in Green Bay. The young, this has to be the youngest offense in the NFL. I mean, outside of the offensive line, offensive line has some young players too, but um, just the skill group, the, I think wide receiver group, I, I definitely believe has to be the least, the young, the most inexperienced in the league, coupled with the tight ends too. Um, yeah. So I have been optimistic about this offense, and I I have been that with very little to go on with Jordan Love. He's <laughs> barely played. He would look great and early for the Eagles game last year, like nine throws mm-hmm. or something. They look great, you know. But um, for me, there's a few things. Uh, One, it really starts up front. This offensive line still slaps. So Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. his situation, you know, there's so much kvetching about the skill players, who they did add, who they didn't add, the inexperienced salute to. But he's so well protected. It's Bakhtiari, Jenkins, Myers... Runyon or Newman, Zach Tom or Nigel. Like they, they're so good. They were so good last year. They're so deep. I mean, you have to start there. This is clearly the best. Well, I was, no, they're not the best offensive line. Well, I, great. I was, Detroit's probably yeah, better now, but they're close. They're close. I mean, they're, they're a top 10 unit in the NFL, maybe top five or six. So yeah, that's, that's assuming the health place of- to start. That's assuming the health of David Bakhtiari. Um, and again, Elton Jenkins, although he held up last year, 
for the most part. But Bakhtiari hasn't had a full season in three years. And that's just not something that I can count on. With Bakhtiari, I am totally on board. This is one of the best offensive lines in football, too. Second to the Lions in the division, because I do think the Lions have the edge a little bit. But um, I just don't know if they hold up. The good news is, like you said, they have depth. Zach Tom completely just revamped his entire body. Like he redid his entire body. He's so much bigger. He's so much faster or not faster, physical, more physical. He's just kind of like bulked up. Um, but in a good way, it's not like, you know, I've been eating whatever cheese curds all day. Um, wait, it's like the, it's, it's muscle. And he's really, he's, he came after that right tackle spot with a vengeance. Um, and, and kind of wrestled it away from Yash Nyman, who was there for a lot of last year, took his lumps too. There was some issues and all that kind of stuff. Um, uh, although Elton Jenkins, no, I think Elton Jenkins was right tackle last year. No, I'm getting They confused. were moving him. I mean, I'm just They were moving him around. Guard. Yeah. I know. I'm like, very put, him back, put him back. Put him back next to Dave. Let them just <laughs> run together. They like being by each other. Um, Elton Jenkins is one of those freak offensive linemen, though, that ruins it for the rest of them because he can switch sides just pretty seamlessly and effortlessly. And I think that he's probably the only one that can do that as easily as he does. Mm-hmm. And um, But that being said, yeah, Jordan Love is coming into such a good situation. Like, you have the offensive line. You've got the running game to lean on and one of the best yes. running back tandems in the league. And yeah, sure, you've got some youth along, you know, your your receiving core and your tight ends. But then you look at the other side of the ball real quick, and it's like that team that the, that side of the ball has eight first round picks on it. Yeah, and you should be able to lean on your defense to be able to stay on the field or get you the ball back. Dude, Christian Watson also looked really good in the second half of last season. He did. Um, I'm a believer, and I wasn't. I, I liked him a lot in the senior bowl, but I was like, I don't know. Can he really be – what's he going to live in the NFL? He hasn't really ran a full route tree. I thought he looked awesome. I mean, he truly, to me, has number one receiver upside. I like all these receivers together. Like, they all have really different yeah. skill sets, adding Jaden Reed in the slot. Romeo Dobbs is more of that kind of possession guy you can uh, use in the RPO game. I yeah. think it's like a fun group. I really Luke Musgrave, the tight end that they drafted, is like a freak. Um, Doing really well in camp. Tell me about it. So, well, that's the one thing that I agree with you in Christian Watson being the, that number one guy. But at the same time, everything we've seen this offseason is that Jordan Love is going Romeo Dobbs way more. And he was training with Romeo Dobbs before the offseason. Even the program even started out in California. Both Romeo Dobbs and Aaron Jones went out to throw with Jordan Love. And he and Romeo Dobbs has been the one to get most of the work and kind of play that cleanup role all over the all over the offense. So I think Christian Watson has that explosive big play capability, but I don't know that he's getting the bulk of the work here for these receivers. I think it's interesting and it'll be something to watch as it develops. But Luke Musgrave is absolutely factoring into this receiving core as a tight end. I mean, the way that he's run his routes and how crispy looks, how fast he is. Um, he's so fast. They really, really like him. He's so fast. He's really fast. So they really like him. And then you add in a guy like Tucker Craft, who is a combo tight end. Yeah. And I mean, he can, he can get a little bit better as an inline blocker. I think uh, he's, he's good in space though. And this is a team that utilizes 12 personnel a ton. I think they yeah. did they did it at the second highest rate last season. Yeah. And they were doing it with 
with Robert Tunyon and Mercedes Lewis, a very agent and aging big Mercedes dog. Lewis. Shout who, out to the big dog. He could still come back. Shout out to the big dog. <laughs> um, and I just think that they've infused every single yeah. aspect of this offense with youth. And those tight ends are going to grow together and work together and really take the pressure off of those young receivers too. If you're, I mean, you're talking, if you're putting 21 out there too, if you're putting both Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon out there, you put one tight end, you got another couple receivers, you're good. Or you can run that 12 personnel that you love to run so much. And you can do it with both of those guys that are both going to be pass or receiving threats in addition to being able to block. Um, couple that with the backfield. There's so many different combinations that are available to Matt LaFleur and in turn Jordan Love to make things easy for him. I'm really excited to see what Matt LaFleur does with the offense this year because um, I've talked about this, you know, coming into Green Bay, he really changed that. You know, he came from the Rams and quickly figured out that it wasn't what Aaron Rodgers wanted to do. You know, Aaron Rodgers didn't want to be under center booting out. Like it was just a very different um, he's a very different quarterback. He wanted to be in the gun more. So he implemented an RPO game as a means to help the run game. And, um, you know, I convinced Rodgers to kind of buy into the structure of that offense. And now he's got a quarterback who's just like wildly different. Um, so I'll be fascinated to see like, what does the RPO game look like? It's going to look really different with Jordan Love, who's of course also an option to keep himself. That's another area, by the way, where I think, the Green Bay offense could actually should improve this year, which is um, they were awful at the goal line last year. I mean, they could so not bad. score touchdowns. They were bad at red zone efficiency, but in goal to goal, goal, yeah. goal to go situations, Miserable. they were 32nd Miserable. in the NFL. Yeah. They only scored yeah. 50% of the time. And that was down from being 11th in 2021. So that's really responsible for, a lot of those losses. Now you bring in a quarterback who himself is a threat to keep in a lot of those situations. And I really think uh, that's going to open up things in the low red zone for Lafleur, who, um, you know, in the past has been a very, he's been a very creative play caller. And then of course, as you mentioned that they have an incredibly good offensive line and an incredibly incredibly good run game. So, couple that with a, a quarterback can run and it feels like they should be scoring a lot more touchdowns. I think there were so many ways that Aaron Rodgers limited them last year because I didn't see when they, when Devonte Adams left and Devonte Adams was responsible for more of that target share than any one player for his team of anyone in, yeah. in the league. And their answer to losing him was essentially just trying to make up for it with Romeo Dobbs and Christian Watson and still run like they didn't evolve. And that was so surprising to me last season, especially in the beginning to not see them trying to lean a little bit more on the run game or utilize like their tight ends a little bit more and, and do some things to kind of make up for that loss. Because I think in a lot of ways, the attitude was, well, we have Aaron Rodgers, and he's one of the best at making something out of nothing. So Mm. he can carry this team. Rodgers then breaks his thumb. And as much as he wanted to downplay it, I mean, there's, there's no doubt in my mind about how much that really did affect him. And the fact that he was up in interceptions and accuracy and down in accuracy, I should say this year, isn't a coincidence. And so as much as he wants to downplay it, that factored into this and he wasn't able to carry the team as he potentially would have 
uh, at least up until the NFC Championship game. But that's just my Comple- completely. Um, um, <laughs> yeah, right. Um, so I just yeah. I think that now you have a quarterback that's totally bought into the system, like you were saying. He's got a different skill set, one that matches what Lafleur wants to do a little bit more. And he's also not the new kid on the block. He might be a yeah. like a, a first year starter, but he's going into his first year starting ninety nine percent more prepared than anyone gets to be because he's been in this offense. He's been around these guys for three years. And Tom Clements, the quarterbacks coach, said something right after the uh, the transition essentially commenced, uh, was that he could lean over to Jordan Ludd at any time over the last couple of years and be like, all right, defense is doing this. What are you doing? What are you doing? And he knew the game plan inside and out every single time. So he has the mental processing down. It's just now a matter of execution. And Matt LaFleur is now going to be free to make it as easy as possible on him with the tools that they have. Wrap with the defense, my mortal enemy. They're my mortal enemy because I constantly say they're going to be good and then they're not. I've taken this is and a, then they're not taking my lumps on this. They were a lot better in the second half of the season in, in certain respects, and they did lose their best pass rusher for much of the year, Rashawn Gary. Um, so it's really a very similar group to last season. Uh, as you mentioned, there's a lot of draft capital invested on this side of the ball. And they brought back their defensive coordinator, Joe Barry, which was surprising, I have to say. I was surprised. Um, What is – okay, so I gave you, like, I did the optimist case for the Vikings earlier. What is the optimist case for this Packers defense in your mind? It's hard because, again, on paper, you have no doubts about this team. Yeah. You have like you're you're sort of at every level. You have a rotation, you know, even along the interior now. Devontae Wyatt's going to be in a second season. He's going to help out Kenny Clark. Kenny Clark has a supporting cast on that interior that he hasn't had in a while. And then on the edge, I mean, I don't know that Rashawn Gary is going to be ready for Week One, but you hope that he's going to get into their their the the mix there pretty quickly. Preston Smith is probably the most under talked about player too. He is just quietly a very solid pass rusher for this team. And then you get a guy like Lucas Van Ness and it's interesting to me. I wasn't a huge fan of this pick. Um, but again, I talked myself into it thinking that maybe he's going to be taking some snaps on the inside of that defensive end position in this, in this base three, four. So he's rushing from the interior. He was so much better at Iowa rushing in a straight line. Um, I don't think he particularly has great bend. I don't know yeah. that he can use his hands super well uh, but if you send him on a straight line, <laughs> um, hopefully you strong. can get – he's very strong. He's that corn-fed Iowa boy. So if you can utilize him, and I think that his skill set then is best utilized inside, if you do that with him, then I see the vision. But it's just interesting to me that you can keep getting away with investing all of this draft capital in guys that you don't end up starting. Like Rashawn Gary was the same way before he turned into Rashawn Gary. Took him 12th overall. He didn't start right away. And now you take Lucas Van Ness 13th and you're not planning on starting him right away. So I don't know that I gave an optimist case for this other than the fact that this defense has so much talent on it. And you it's hope the it's the talent it, living Stokes up to their back. potential. That's the that's, optimist that's case. That's what it needs to happen. It's that's, that's Devontae Wyatt, who was, he came into the NFL as this like pass rushing three tech, you know, it looks so good at Georgia. Okay, he comes in, he makes an impact. Kenny Clark gets to play defensive end again and he's got better depth around him. 
Um, you got guys like Devondre Campbell, who was good, really good for a year that he can go back, you know, play up to that level. Quay Walker flashes some flashes, flashes. Yeah. Um, flashes. Russell Douglas was another like really good right. for a year. You know, uh, Eric Stokes again, like they've all been like really good at various points. Question is, can they yeah. all be good at the same time and for the an same extended time. period of time? Yeah. Minus Jerry yeah. Alexander is just awesome. Uh, safety remains an absolute black hole on this team. Sorry. <laughs> I don't know who's starting. It doesn't look good. Uh, but that that's otherwise there are answers across the roster. It's just a matter of consistency in my mind, frankly. Yeah. And hopefully Eric Stokes, you know, will get back, um, and be, be good from the injury. And we saw yeah. Russell Douglas be a guy that he turned into somewhat of a ball hawk towards the end of last season. And the, this, this, the, the secondary was taking the ball away quite a bit more towards the end of last season. So if you can do that again, and again, give Jordan Love as many opportunities as you possibly can to score some points, then you could be okay. But this defense has to live up to their talent level because Jordan Love has to be able to lean on them um, and not get so behind that he's trying to claw his way out because he's just not going to be able to do that, I don't think, right off the bat. You could talk me into these teams finishing in any order. I will say after these conversations, Lions, Vikings, Packers, Bears, maybe? I don't know. I really don't know, man. You could Lions. Packers, Vikings, Bears. I like I've I've been very complimentary as far as um I really think that this transition to Jordan Love is gonna go well for the Packers. And if they you do, you could definitely, yeah. I could see them finishing second. I could totally see it. I mean, the, I, the Vikings are this year's the regression candidate for all of the nerdy, yeah. obvious reasons. But mm -hmm. I, as I've said, I do like that offense a lot. So I just. I do too. I do too. All right. Well, we agreed on one thing. Lions are still our favorites. Um, Carmen, you are one of my favorites. Thank you so much for joining us. Guys, check out Carmen at foxsports.com. You can follow her on Twitter. At Carmen Vitali, it's just your name, I think. Uh, Carmi V. Carmi Carmi v. v. It oh, was you have Carmi V. Born from born from Dickie V. Actually, when I was first signing up for Twitter, uh, Dick Vital, Carmen Vitali. We spell our names a little bit differently, but it's, it's the same Amazing. thing. Whatever. So I was like, I was forced to sign up for Twitter for a class in college, and so I was like, <laughs> all right, he's Dickie V. My dad calls me Carmi. Let's go with Carmi V. And it's just stuck ever since then. And now I have people that call me Carmi V in real life, and I'm like, eh, I love it. Carmi V, yeah. thank you so much for joining us. This is great.